Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. God, we thank you for this night. We pray, God, that you would continue to speak with us. God, minister to us through your word. God, I pray that you would help us, Lord God, as we continue to learn to process and deal with our anger. God, we thank you for the help of the Holy Ghost tonight. In Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. You can be seated tonight. So the past few times, I've kind of gone back and given you a summary of each previous lesson tonight. I'm not doing that. So if there's any that you've missed, you just can go and listen to the podcast because I just don't have time to do review tonight. So the only thing I will state from the beginning, which I've stated every week, is that anger is not a sin. It is an emotion. All right. So we're going to start off with our first topic tonight. And let me do like I always do. All the information and teaching that I've done throughout this series comes from the book Anger, Taming a Powerful Emotion by Gary Chapman. Um, He's also the author of The Five Love Languages. And this is a really great book. And I think my husband got some type of information on this book being a really good deal somewhere. So if this is something that you think you'd be interested in, he may be able to hook you up with getting it cheap. So anyway, first subject tonight, when you're angry at God, when you're angry at God. Many times Christians will experience anger at God after a tragedy. Sometimes the stronger the commitment to God, it seems like the more intense the anger. Because it comes into our mind a phrase, something like, I've tried to live for God and to be faithful. Why would he let this happen to me? I know that there's friends and people in my life, um, minister families, um, that have had great tragedy happen in their life. Um, Brother and Sister Curtin, they go into the prison with us. Their daughter Bethany died in a car wreck not long after she graduated high school. Uh, Brother and Sister Martin, the death of their son Dallas when he was just going to get his guitar so he could come to church and worship. Uh, Most recently, Caitlin uh, Brake in Ohio. Great girl, 26 years old, on fire for God, doing things for the Lord. And drunk driver or uh, erratic driver crossed the center lane, hit her head on, and she died. And they buried her this week. So there are tragic things that happen in the life of a Christian. And part of the grief and loss we know is anger. And we can look into the word of God um, and a very well-known man named Job, who is an example of this. He was a man that lived uprightly. He honored God. And great tragedy struck his family and his life. The Message Bible I'm going to read from in Job 16, 6 through 8 says, this is Job, when I speak up, I feel no better. If I say nothing, that doesn't help me either. I feel worn down. God, you have wasted me totally, me and my family. You've shriveled me like a dried prune, showing the world that you're against me. This is just a man that had lost all his children. He had boils and things cover his body. He had disaster come into his home, into his livestock. Just so many things that you can imagine happening happened to Job. But the thing is, when we get angry at God, he doesn't get angry at us for being angry. He came, lived on earth, lived as a man, experienced everything that we experience. He understands our emotions. Isaiah 53 and 3 tells us that he was a man of sorrows, that he was acquainted with grief, that he was despised. He had things happen to him. He felt pain. He felt anger, all these things. And here's Job, and he has these friends that are supposed to comfort him, right? They come around all this tragedy. And at the end of the day, they're pretty much accusing him, well, you must have done something wrong for all this bad stuff to happen to you, is what they say. And we know that's not true. And Job insisted that wasn't true. So he began to lay out his frustrations before God. Obviously, his friends were not of much help. But God did not condemn Job for his anger. Instead, he had a conversation with him. Kind of helped him work through it. And we could say helped him process his anger. God reminded Job that his ways were not always understandable to men, that he's the creator, he's our sustainer, and he can be trusted. What God did get mad at, though, was Job's friends for the ones that condemned him for his anger or his feelings during his grief and loss. Job decided at the end of that conversation to trust God, even though he didn't fully understand the tragedies that had happened in his life. And his relationship with God was strengthened, And scripture even goes on to say that God blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. And I think sometimes that depends on 
how we respond and how we end up working through our anger and the different things because if you would stay mad at God, it can turn into bitterness. Bitterness can turn into hate and that can separate us from God. It's okay to be angry, but again, like I've said in previous lessons, anger is meant to be a visitor, not a resident. It can come in, we work through it, and it goes back out. God desires that we trust him in the darkness the same way we trust him in the light. When bad things happen, many times the first response is, why didn't God do something to stop this? We know that God doesn't do any wrong. We know that God cannot sin, but emotionally we might still experience anger. And God is fully willing to hear our expressions of anger and to listen as we pour out our pain. And here's the thing. God already knows our heart, right? He knows our thoughts. He knows everything about us. So there's no need to be fake with him. There's no need to pretend. No need to put on an act. God wants us to be real. He wants us to be authentic. How many times have you told someone that was praying, just talk to God like you're talking to a friend? Does it take fancy words? Does it take anything special? Well, how many times have we hit a bad situation and we called our friend because we just needed to vent? God says, it's okay, you can do me that way. You can call and vent to me. You can talk to me. We can get things off our chest to God. He's okay. He can handle it. So could God do something to protect us from the pain and frustration and tragedy from entering our lives? Sure. There's a couple things God could do. The first thing he could do, number one, is eliminate all the sinful people, which would wipe out any pain caused by their sinful acts. But, of course, this means he would have to wipe out the entire human race because, you know, we are all born into sin, and we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So there's that. I mean, yeah, he could eliminate all the pain and anger, but then none of us would be alive. So that's not a good choice. Or number two, second possibility, God could step in, and miraculously avert the consequences of evil. I mean, he could stall the car of the drunk driver. He could extinguish all fires at the first spark. He could evaporate bullets as they're shot out of the gun. He could stop bombs from exploding. He could eliminate germs and viruses. He could make people mute if they start to gossip or say bad things. He could blind people who are prone to lust. And I'm not saying that some of these things that God hasn't done. He's stopped bullets. He's stopped bombs. He's protected us. How many times have we said, I spoke the name of Jesus, and I don't know how that car went around me? You know, we've had things happen, and God does do those things at times. But we all know tragedy has entered all of our lives. And so if all those things were true, it might sound like a perfect world. But then what that does is when you remove all the tragedy and all the anger and all the pain and all of the consequences, it also removes human freedom. It removes choice. It removes free will. This means that everybody would be a robot and could only do good deeds. But God created us with freedom to choose, which tells us that God values freedom. We can choose to obey or we can choose to disobey. There can be no freedom without the possibility of evil. And when there is evil, evil always has negative consequences. And because people have a choice... The fallout of their actions will not only affect themselves, but many times the people around them. And so many times there's collateral damage, and many times we're affected by something that we did not choose. And it makes us angry. They did that, and it hurt me. They did that and affected me. They did that, and now I'm dealing with damage. I'm dealing with anger. But it just comes with the power of choice that we have as humans. Because if you take their choice away, we have to take our choice away right? So many times Christians struggle, not just with injustice, but feelings of inequality. How many times have people said, I don't understand why my son, who was so sweet, died from cancer, when there's bad people out there continuing to live? Or you've heard someone say, why does it seem like I have so many problems when my sister sails through life? I can say that because I don't have a sister. (laughs) Or why isn't God taking better care of his children? But see, our perspective is limited, So let's consider a few things from the Bible. Peter said that trials bring us grief, that they can be used to refine our faith. Paul said that God can bring good out of anything. He also said that God uses experiences to mold and shape us to be more like Christ. James said that our difficulties can lead to maturity. And Jesus said that sometimes our problems are designed so that people can see him working in our lives. So we can still reference our beginning scripture then, 
to fit this subject when we're angry at God. When we're angry with God, don't sin. We can feel anger, but choose not to sin. And at the end of the day, all anger at God really is distorted anger because God cannot sin. He cannot do anything wrong. But the feeling of anger, though, can still be very real. So anger being an emotion means it's not a choice, the initial anger, but it's a response to something that brought pain into our life. And anger at God, if we get frustrated thinking, God, you could have averted this. You could have changed this. You could have made this a different outcome. And so you feel that God treated you unfairly, and then we experience anger. However, what we do with our anger at that point, that's our choice, and that's our responsibility. So what we can do, though, it's totally okay to be real. Let God know we're angry. You're not going to hurt his feelings. You're not going to stir up his anger. He wants you to share your thoughts and your feelings with him. So with that, I'm going to show my first video tonight. Brother Zach, if you don't mind, if you don't care to make sure that the sound is up at the beginning because sometimes we miss the first couple words. Okay, God, let's go. Oh, precious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your many blessings. You know all things. You know that I lost my job, but I know that you will take care of me even through these tough times. Hmm. Nah. Lord, I know that you are holy and whatever happens, you will see me through it. Try again. Lord, help me to see the multitude of blessings and the rich lessons in life that you have in store for me and my family in this most difficult season. That sounded pretty, but I'm still not feeling it. God, I know that you said that all things happen for a reason. I never said that. What I meant was is that you'll work in this for the good. True, but not what I'm looking for. I'm trying to say that I'm happy that you chose me for this trial. Look, now you're just making stuff up. Do you mind? <laughs> Do you mind? I'm trying to pray here. Uh, yeah trying and not really doing a very good job of it. Look, you're just jumping to the end and skipping all the really good parts. Listen, will you lay off? I've had a bad day. I mean, give me a break. Okay. See, now we're getting somewhere. Keep going with that. Well, fine. I'm angry. I'm angry at you, God. I'm angry at Gary, my boss, or used to be my boss. I mean, aren't you supposed to be looking out for me? And isn't Gary supposed to be a Christian? He knows I have a family to feed. And on top of that, I come home today and the dog has thrown up on the carpet. We just replaced that carpet and now the house smells like dog vomit. And then Trish comes home and tells me how much money she saved today when she stopped by Kohl's. And I said, just think of the money we would have saved if you'd have driven by Kohl's. <laughs> now, then we get in an argument about it. I'm trying to pray about it. You won't cut me any slack about it. I mean, what am I supposed to do? Huh, God? I mean, what do you want from me? Now that is a prayer. God wants us to be real. Sometimes you say words and you just don't really mean them. God says, I already know your heart. I already know what's right up here. And even though it's true, it's for your good. I can bring good out of this situation and all that. He still wants us to acknowledge and be truthful when we have frustration and anger with him. Because he already knows anyway. Now, if we go to the Bible, we see that Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal. He had a great victory. I mean, went in there, trial, trial. But he came out victorious. And the very next day, Jezebel says, you're going to be dead within a day. And here he is like, I just came out of one trial. Now, just, you know, right out of the frying pan and into the fire. He even said in 1 Kings 19 and 4, It is enough. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life. 
I mean, he's just like, I'm done. This is basically our version of, I'm over it. I'm done. Forget it. I'm, I've had it up to here. I'm done. That's basically what Elijah was saying. But here's the thing. God hears him, but he allows him to rest first. You know, Elijah wants to just go take you a little nap, you know. And when he wakes up from his nap, there's some refreshment, there's some food, there's some nourishment. He sleeps and he feeds them again. I mean, that was some pretty good sustenance too because I believe scripture says that he went in the strength of that 40 days. So, I mean, that was, that was some good meal. I mean, I would like to have a meal that I could go in the strength of 40 days, wouldn't you? I'd <laughs> be all right. I'd like that. But at the end of all that time, he's fed him, he's nourished him, he's allowed him to rest. Pretty much if you think through, God helped him calm down right? And then he gave him some instructions on how to appoint some new leadership that would take care of his enemies. And he also reassures them, you're not the only one, Elijah. There's other people that are still serving the one true God. So we can see that God took time with Elijah. God's compassionate. He's merciful. He's kind. He cares about us and how we feel. And when we come to God in those moments, he may respond to us in one of two ways. He may decide that he's going to help us understand the situation. He may give us some insight. He may give us his perspective like he did with Elijah. Or he may just simply ask that we trust him like he did with Job. Number two, we need to listen to God's message. Once we've expressed our complaint to God, we need to listen then for his voice. And it may come in a myriad of different ways. Because when we pray and we're talking to God and we're waiting to hear back from him, We've got to be open and sensitive to how he wants to speak to us so we don't miss it. Because sometimes it may come in the sermon from the pastor. Maybe it comes through the word or a card that we got in the mail from a friend. Maybe it's a book we're reading and something really jumps out of it, out of it, out of it at us or our devotional. Or maybe we hear the lyrics to a song on the radio. Or maybe we see a certain post that's so encouraging on social media at the right time. The key is to listen for what God is trying to say to us. And look for the good that may come from the bad situation. And then in the moment, seek to be more like Christ. Now, here's the thing. There's a bug up here. Listening does not always lead to understanding. But sometimes just acceptance. I don't understand it. But I do know that God is always good. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that Bishop and wife used to have something on their fridge that said something about the circumstances may be hard, but God is always good. Yes, but God's always good. And he will use it for his purpose and plan. It may not have been his will for something bad to happen in our life, but that doesn't mean he can't take the bad that happened and make something really good out of it, right? Acceptance may come quickly. We may be able to quickly accept it, or it could take weeks or it could take months. But eventually we'll reach a point that we can rest in his peace and come to the understanding, my life is in the hands of a loving God. He loves me. He loves me so I can trust him. Number three, we report for duty to get our next assignment from God. You're like, what does that mean? Well, in simple terms, as long as we're alive, God's not finished with us. Doesn't matter how long we've served him, how long we've been in church, how old we are. God is never finished with us. We never reach a state of perfection. Dr. Chapman said, you may be diseased, discouraged, disappointed, and in deep pain, but God has plans for you, and those plans are good. Jeremiah 29 and 11 backs this up when Scripture says, For I know the thoughts I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. So we may go through life with unanswered questions, but we can trust that God is at work even in those darkest and most painful times. Elijah, he was able to move on from his anger. He was able to move on. But let's take a moment and look at someone who didn't. In Genesis, we see two brothers that bring an offering to the Lord. Abel, he brought the firstborn. He sacrificed it unto the Lord. Cain also brought an offering from the field, but it was not accepted by God. Now, we may not totally understand the reasoning. Maybe it wasn't the first fruits. Maybe he was disobedient in what he was supposed to bring. Maybe he had unrepented sin in his heart and he was trying to offer something to God while he was harboring evil. We don't know. But what we do know is that when God did not accept his offering, Cain got mad, really mad. If you'll pull up Genesis 4 and 5 for me, I'm going to do Genesis 4, 5 through 8. But I'm going to read it to you from the Message Bible. It'll be on the King James on the screen. But Cain and his offering didn't get his approval. 
Cain lost his temper and went into a sulk. God spoke to Cain, why this tantrum? Why this sulking? If you do well, won't you be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin is lying in wait for you, ready to pounce. It's out to get you. You've got to master it. For our sake, you could say you've got to get control of your anger and your temper. Cain had words with his brother. They were out in the field. Cain, Cain came at Abel, his brother, and killed him. If we follow Cain, Dr. Chapman says, we'll yield to sinful impulses and, in uncontrolled anger, do things that will make our life more difficult. You know, and one thing that I did notice, I didn't write this down, but in, in the study of Cain, it made me think that, you know, if we don't control our anger and we let it fester and we let it grow, even if that anger is at God, many times what happens is that anger spills out onto other people in our life. We take that out on others when we're angry at God. Or maybe we're angry at God, so we leave the church. And people say, oh, that just affects me. No, that affects the pastor. That affects the people in the church. It does affect other people. But if we'll do like Elijah, we share our anger with God, but then listen to that quiet whisper that comes from God, then we've processed it in a good way, and we can move forward, and we know that we can trust him. So now let's talk about what if you're angry at yourself? I mean, we've all had those times when we're like just been so mad at ourselves, right? We all have done it. Thomas Kempis said, be at peace with yourself, and then you will be able to bring peace to others. At some point, most people will feel angry with themselves, usually because we perceive that we did something wrong. We acted carelessly, foolishly, irresponsibly. In the heat of anger, we're mad at ourselves. We fill our mind with self-condemning thoughts. And sometimes that's coupled with guilt and coupled with shame. I mean, you might tell yourself some things like, I'm so dumb. Look what I did. I can't believe I did that. I'm a bad friend. I don't deserve to have any friends. I'm not good at anything. I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't know why anyone would ever believe me again. I knew it was wrong. I don't deserve to be happy. My life is useless. And on and on and on it goes. That negative dialogue in our mind that we're telling ourselves. And let me tell you something. When you start down that path and you stay on that path, the devil is more than happy to piggyback on top of that to try and destroy us. And he'll start saying, yep, you're right. You're not good enough for anything. God wouldn't want you now. He piggybacks right on top of that. Yeah, that's right. You keep thinking that. You keep Because th his, his motive is to destroy us. So we talk bad to ourselves. He's more than happy to jump right on there. How many ladies remember at ladies' conference, Sister Gina Veris talked about the voice that's louder than God's? And sometimes we listen to the wrong voice, and sometimes that's our own voice because we're tearing ourselves up. Many people say, I can forgive others. I can even accept God's forgiveness, but I can never forgive myself. Situations can range from like maybe a small careless act. I wasn't paying attention and I hit my thumb with a hammer. You know, oh, this is so stupid. I had work to get done today. I was careless and wasn't paying attention and I hammered my thumb. I'm so dumb. I should have just called the contractor. You know what I'm saying? Something simple, something small. Or maybe walking through the kitchen and wasn't paying attention and I accidentally knocked my spouse's favorite mug off the table and it broke and it can't be replaced and I'm just so stupid and that was an antique or whatnot. Or it could be something that is way more serious, like I stole from my workplace or I cheated on my spouse, which can have a lot more lasting consequences, and the anger can be coupled in with that guilt and that shame that can come with something that we did that was a moral wrong. So just like when we process anger towards others, we have to do that for ourselves too. So first and foremost, like we've done with every other chapter we've talked about, we have to admit it. I mean... I don't want to quote him, but, you know, it says that uh, you can't change what you don't acknowledge. Dr. Phil, that's what he says. You can't change what you don't acknowledge, you know. You can't, you can't do anything about your anger if you don't admit that it's there, right? So not just admitting it to yourself, but sometimes we don't do a good job of helping ourselves through situations. We need the help of a friend, a mentor, a pastor, a counselor, because we get in a cycle and we don't know how to get out. We don't know how to stop those voices in our head. And we need an outside voice to come in and say, here's what the word says. Here's what God says. Here's what he says you are. You know, we need someone sometimes to come in and help break that cycle. We might say, I'm really feeling angry at myself. I'm, I'm so disappointed. I feel stupid for letting this happen. And I feel like I've let a lot of people down, myself included in God. 
I feel so irresponsible. You just got to stop and admit what your feelings are. Stop beating yourself up, but just admit, this is how I feel. Write it down if you need to. It's okay. Sometimes people do really good with journaling. And then examine it. That's number two. Is it definitive anger or is it distorted anger? Did I commit a true wrong or did I just perceive that I did? There's a big difference between the carelessness of whacking your thumb with a hammer. I mean, that's not immoral. might make you mad at yourself, feeling like you're stupid. But no wrong was committed. But on the other hand, a person who cheats on their spouse and has an affair has committed a sin. That's an immoral act. And the anger is definitive. So you're moving past the stupidity of hitting your thumb. It may be as simple as admitting it and understanding that things happen and you move on. I mean, it's over and done in a couple of hours, right? You might still have the throbbing or a Band-Aid, but you move on. But getting through an affair is a much bigger issue. Along with the anger, it couples with other things, guilt, embarrassment, shame. It takes longer to process that anger. And one has to be purposeful and intentional about the process. Number three, then we confess wrongdoing to God and we accept his forgiveness. 1 John 1 and 9 tells us, and we use this a lot in our Bible studies that we do, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, he's faithful. He will forgive us. It's a promise in his word. Because God loves us and he wants to have fellowship with us. But because he is holy, he is holy. Remember way back when we talked about the origins of anger? God gets angry at disobedience and sin and evil, right? So if we want to have fellowship with him, because he's holy, if we sin, it breaks that fellowship. And he must then treat us as disobedient children. There's a little bit of a gap that's created because we have sinned. He didn't go anywhere, but we did. We took a step back. So if we have unrepented sin in our life, God will feel distant to us. Because he won't share his throne with another. He's a jealous God. Even the things that we know we should do and we don't, that becomes sin in our life. I can't feel God. Church doesn't feel the same as it used to. I don't feel close to God. It's just been so long since I spoke in tongues. I, I just don't feel him in worship. I mean, I just I have a hard time lifting my hands or worshiping. If any of these things are true, then we stop and say, is there any area of my life where I'm willfully or knowingly sinning? Because we can't accept God's forgiveness and move on to forgiving ourselves if then we continue in the behavior and continue the actions we know to be wrong. Because some people get stuck in a cycle. I feel bad and I feel shame for what I'm doing, but not enough to change, not enough to stop. I feel bad, I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And then you do it, and then you feel shame. I really shouldn't do that, but then we do it anyway. This person becomes frozen then in this state. And until they are willing to admit the wrong and change the behavior, forgiveness can't be activated in our life. But when we truly repent, turn away from the sin, he will forgive us. He'll cleanse us, and he comes back into fellowship with us. Then we can move forward. And we can seek forgiveness from others we have wronged, if any. Number four, then at this point, you've received God's forgiveness. You choose to forgive yourself. You choose not to hold the sin against yourself. But you also accept and acknowledge and understand that forgiveness in and of itself, it may not remove the hurt. It may not remove the pain or the memory of the wrongdoing. There's many of us that... We feel like we've forgiven ourselves and moved on, but that doesn't mean we don't remember mistakes we've made. True. And it won't always remove the consequences. If we are a thief and stole something, it doesn't mean that because we got forgiveness from God and forgave ourselves that we may not still go to jail. You know, if we committed an immoral act and, you know, things happened, it may not take away some of the consequences. Things still happen at times. And it doesn't always restore trust. If you truly wronged someone, truly hurt them, they may offer forgiveness even, but that doesn't mean that they necessarily want to have reconciliation because they may not feel they can trust because trust has to be rebuilt over time. Forgiveness can be granted in a moment, but trust takes time to rebuild. So self-forgiveness is a choice. Sometimes it's easier to do it in the form of a prayer whenever we're trying to get through that self-forgiveness. Just asking for God's help and acknowledging the self-defeating thoughts we've had to him. 
to have that conversation. God, you know that I've been, you know, beating myself up for this mistake. And God, you know, it's just weighing on my mind and it's just obsessing with my thoughts and it just seems like I can't move forward. And I really need your help just to understand that you've forgiven me and I've done everything I can do and I need to forgive myself. And the Spirit will help us. God's Spirit will help us. Because, you know, it says I can do all things through Christ. Well, I think this is included in that all things. His Spirit will help if we ask. So then we start to listen to his voice above our own, and we read what the word has to say, and we remind ourselves of his promises. Because forgiveness releases you from the bondage of past failures. That's what forgiveness does. You're no longer bound to what you did wrong in the past. And then it gives you the freedom to make the most of the future. Because when you're stuck in unforgiveness, you're stuck in the past. But whenever you choose to forgive, then it frees you up to like, I can finally move forward. I can kind of just set that down right there, and I know it's still there, and at some point I may look back and see it, but now I'm free to kind of go forward and do things differently. So at this point, number five, you focus on positive actions because you learn from your failures. We learn so much more from our failures than we ever do from our successes. You ask yourself, what are the factors that led me to yield the temptation in the past? Most recently in our addiction class, and they talked about relapse during addiction recovery, they're called relapse triggers. And funny enough, that's the question I missed on the test, <laughs> the only one. But what caused me to fail? What changes do I need to make to prevent this from happening in the future? You start saying, okay, I'm not going to look at this as just my greatest failure. I'm going to look at this now as my greatest learning opportunity. Where did I go wrong? What were my thoughts like at that time? Who was I hanging around? What was going wrong in my life? What was going right in my life? You start to ask yourself, how did I make that mistake? So then how do I change going forward so that I don't do it again? And that's where we can learn and it can bring constructive growth. At the end of the day, though, you can only control you. I can only control me. If others choose not to forgive because you've done something wrong and asked forgiveness, you can't control them. You can't control them if they choose not to forgive. That's them. But you just have to continue going forward, and you just live your life the way you know would please God, okay? Because you've done everything on your end. So you can just rest in the knowledge, I'm pleasing him, I'm doing my part to make a positive impact on the people around me, okay? So now we're going to do our third issue tonight, and that's confronting an angry person. So with that, I'm going to show my other video. Oh, Miss Piggy appears angry. Angry? No, I am not angry. Your star is not angry. She is merely disappointed. Disappointed? Yes. You, you have not been honest with me, Kermit. I, I haven't? No. Me, we were spending a week in the swamp. Mm -hmm. You never said there would be snakes and spiders and alligators. Uh, well, no, I was saving the best part for a surprise. Surprise? Kermit, mm -hmm. you are out of your little green mind. Well, Gina, speaking, you know, I, I was born in the swamp. My, my roots are there, and I, I just wanted you and my other friends to see it. But uh, we don't have to go back to the swamp. We can uh, we can go to back where to where to where you were born, the sty. You know where your roots are, where pigs eat swill and wallow in the mud. Remember that? Huh? Huh? Uh -huh. Remember this? <laughs> well, he was doing okay there right at first, but. Then he got a little mean streak, I think, start talking about, well, we'll just go where you came from then, yeah. It didn't work out too good for old Kermit in the end, did it? No. So I'm going to read you a couple pages here out of the chapter, Confronting an Angry Person, Dr. Gary Chapman. Sitting in my office one April afternoon counseling a young couple, I heard a loud rapping on my office door. Pardon me, I said to the couple as I stood and walked to the door. As I stepped outside, I saw a man who appeared to be in his early 50s. He wasted no time in stating his mission. I'll tell you right now, the church will pay for my muffler. 
Those speed bumps are too high, he said, pointing to the church's parking lot adjacent to my office. They pulled the muffler right off my car, and I wasn't going fast. They should never have installed those speed bumps. If they tore my muffler off, they'll tear somebody else's muffler off. The church is responsible, and they're going to pay for it. He said all this without taking a breath, and in his loudest staccato voice, his face was red, his eyes were glaring, and his nostrils were flared. I knew I was in the presence of an angry man. I closed the door to my office. Up until this time, my hand was still on the knob and the door was still ajar. Perhaps subconsciously, I was planning my way of an escape in case he got violent. I said to him softly, now tell me again exactly what happened to your car. Again, his angry words began to flow. I was driving through the parking lot, and when I went over that speed bump, it pulled my muffler right off the car. I don't know when they put those speed bumps in. They are too high, and somebody is going to pay for my muffler. Now tell me exactly which direction you were traveling. Oh, sorry, I said it in the wrong tone of voice. Now tell me exactly which direction you were traveling and which speed bump you hit, I continued. His voice lowered a bit, and his pace slowed. He said, I was coming from the activities building around towards Peace Haven Road. It's the speed bump at the end of this building. Why did they put a speed bump there? It's too close to the road. And did it pull your muffler completely off the car, I asked? No, it's still hanging on at the back, but it's dragging on the street. I've got to find some wire to attach it so I can drive home. It's not right. The church should pay for my muffler. Feeling that I had heard his story and understood the situation, I said to him, I can see why you would be upset. I would be upset if that happened to me. I didn't realize the speed bumps were that high, but if it pulled your muffler off, it will likely pull someone else's muffler off, and we need to have it fixed. I can assure you that the church will pay for having your muffler repaired. That's the least we can do. If you'll send me the bill, I'll make sure you get reimbursed. If I weren't counseling with a couple, I would go down and try to help you attach your muffler. But I think you'll find one of our maintenance men on the first floor. Perhaps he could help you find some wire. I really appreciate you sharing this with me, because if you hadn't taken the time to come up here, I would not know there's a problem with the speed bump, and obviously we need to have it fixed. I appreciate you taking the time and effort to come up and share this with me. Now, more calmly, he said, well, I just felt like you'd like to know it. Did you say that you're counseling a couple? Yes, I said. Oh, I'm so sorry I interrupted you, he said, and I'm sorry I beat on your door. I should not have been so upset. I understand. It was a pretty loud rap, I said, smiling. I know, I'm ashamed of myself. I shouldn't have gotten so out of control. Not wanting to add to his guilt, I said, all of us sometimes get out of control. It's good when we realize it and we're willing to admit it. I've been there. I know, but I generally appreciate you sharing the information with me about the speed bump, and we'll have it corrected. Backing away from me and moving towards the door of my outer office, he said, thank you. And again, I'm sorry I disturbed you. As he opened the door and walked through the hallway, I said, it's okay, thank you. I had never seen this man before or since, but I have often used this experience as an example of how to respond to an angry person. Perhaps I use it because this is one time when I feel like I did it right. Incidentally, I never received the man's repair bill for the muffler. I can only assume he was too ashamed of his behavior to divulge his name and address. The speed bumps had been installed two weeks before. As far as I know, his is the only muffler that was ever attacked, although we did have some complaints they were too high, so the next week we had them shaved. So here's a story that Dr. Chapman experienced. And so he lived out these steps that I'm going to talk to you about for encountering an angry person and how should we respond. He said there's seven quick steps, and I'm not going to linger really long on any of them. But he said the first three steps of this process are the most important of all of them. Number one is listen. Number two is listen. Number three is listen. The first three steps are all the same. Listen, listen, listen. Because after you hear their complaint the first time, ask them to repeat it. After the second time, ask additional questions to clarify the situation. Listen at least three times before you give a response. Because the first time, you're made aware of their story and that they're angry. Okay? The second time, they begin to see they're really listening to me and taking me seriously. They haven't jumped on me for my anger, and they're trying to understand. Number three, in the third time, they're adding in the details that you asked about. And by this point, they're probably calming down a little bit. And not only that, but on the backside of it, when you're asking them to repeat their story a couple times and ask questions, it gives you time to prepare a response where you're not just shooting from the hip, right? You can kind of listen, 
listen again and listen again. If you respond to someone's anger before you have thoroughly heard their story, you will not diffuse the anger. You're just going to compound it. They feel wronged and need to be heard. And at the end of the day, when you listen, you're respecting their right to be angry. When you take the moment to say, okay, I'm going to listen to you, that just speaks that you respect them. Okay, you're angry, I can see that. Tell me why. Number four, after the first three of listen, 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 number four is you seek to understand their situation. And this is where we have to have some sympathy and some empathy. We have to put ourselves in their shoes. Whether their anger is justified or not, we just try to see the situation through their eyes. If I had experienced what they just told me, would I be angry if I was in the same situation? Maybe they're justified. Maybe they're not. Maybe they don't have all the facts and you got information that they need that's going to change their perspective, right? Now's not the time for that, okay? At this point, you're just trying to understand why they feel angry given their interpretation of the events. This is what they experienced. This is what they felt like happened. If that was me, would I be angry? Simple as that. And then number five is you express understanding of the other person's anger. In other words, once you've listened, 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 and you thought to yourself, hmm, if that happened to me, would I be angry? Then number five, you let them know, I understand. And this is what many times in counseling terms we just call validation. I can see that you're angry. If I was in those shoes, if, I, if that had happened to me, I would be angry too. I can see that you're mad. I understand. Number six, then at this point, then you can share some additional information because you've listened, listened, listened. You've put yourself in their shoes, and then you express to them, hey, you know what? I understand. If I was in your shoes, I would feel angry too. But let me tell you something you may not know, or let me share something with you. And this is where you can give other info then that can shed light on the situation. Many times people's anger is distorted. They don't have all the facts, or the facts they did have, they misinterpreted them, or they twisted them. We're being helpful when we share our perception of what happened. But if we try this too early in the process, I guarantee you we ain't going to be heard. They're going to be too mad trying to tell their story than to turn around and try to listen to you at that point. So if you want to be heard, then you let them get it off their chest first. And if you don't, you're probably going to end up in a heated conversation or an argument. So share facts, but only after you've listened, understood, and validated. And finally, then, is confession and restitution. So if you recognize when they come to you, wow, I, I really did do something wrong. And that can be whether it was an intentional wrong or not. Maybe you didn't realize, wow, I really did do that. I didn't realize that hurt them, right? Then it's time to confess and make efforts to right the wrong. You accept responsibility, ask forgiveness. This is not a time for defensiveness. It's really hard for us as humans to admit wrong. We hate to. We don't want to be wrong. We want to fight to be right, even when we're wrong. But trying to explain or justify, I mean, I know for me personally, that is such a hard thing. Because if someone comes to me and they've been hurt and I've done something, so many times, like, I never intentionally did it. So I want to go, well, this, I didn't, like, I just want to justify and explain and, and so that they, you know, I don't want them to see me as a bad person. You know, I didn't mean to. But at this point, you know what? You just say, you know, I, I, I did. And I'm really sorry. That was me. It can be difficult. But... This is the best way to go about it. So we don't try to explain. We don't try to justify. Because if we do, we may be able to convince others, but we can't fool ourselves. We're still going to feel that guilt. We're still going to feel bad. Taking the high road, admitting wrongs, it's very healthy. It's healthy for our emotions, and it continues to help build strong relationships. Because people like it when we're real. I mean, I know for us personally, our relationship with our kids, we've, like we've mentioned before, we've always, if we've made a mistake or messed up, and you ask Mariah, I say, Mom was wrong. I, I shouldn't have yelled or, you know, I, I take responsibility. I shouldn't have done that. And so when you admit that you've done wrong, you actually gain respect from the other person because it's not like, well, they think they're perfect. They never make a mistake. They never do anything wrong. They always have an excuse for everything. You know, then there's no respect. But if you admit it. Now, real quickly at the end here, there's two things sometimes that we try to do as a response to anger that is the wrong thing. Wrong response number one, trying to cap the anger. Many times we try to cap the other person's anger. And parents can be really guilty of this. Kid comes in and they're yelling. They're yelling at mom. The kid's yelling at dad. And the parent will say something like, if you can't talk to me without yelling, then you just be quiet and go to your room. Right? Well, then this bottles up all the emotions in the child. So I'm going to give a little demonstration here. <laughs> 
This is like capping the anger. Now my daughter tipped this over earlier, so. So let's say you got this little soda bottle here, all right? This is your child, they come and told you. Yelled at you once, expressed their anger again, and you told them, be quiet and go to your room. I don't want to hear you. That is now your child. Who wants to open my soda? Anybody? Any takers? No? Why not? Why wouldn't you want to open it? So this is your child. They're in their room. The door is closed. The cap is on their anger. And carbonated feelings are just a surge and all inside. When that cap comes off, that child's going to have a fitter age. They're going to throw a temper tantrum. They're going to be on the floor kicking their feet. That's, one, that's the explosive anger, right? But let's say the cap stays on. Then you might end up with a child in depression or someone that exhibits passive-aggressive behavior because they never got to express their feelings. You may get some momentary calm, but at what cost? Because anger cannot be processed if it's held inside. You may have to overlook the expression of anger to understand the root of the anger. And that is so important. And I want to say that again. We may have to overlook the expression of the anger to understand the root of the anger. The glaring eyes, the stomping feet, the loud voice, the red face. You might have to look beyond that and say these are just the symptoms. This is just the expression of their anger. But what is causing the anger? I want to get to the story. Number two. The other wrong response is mirroring, mirroring, like a mirror, mirroring the behavior. She's yelling at you, so you yell at her. He calls you bad names, so you call him worse ones. This just worsens the conflict. One angry person out of control is enough. We really don't need two. At that point, we may just say, God, help me to listen. And number two, help me to listen. And number three, help me to listen. It's not always easy. But James 1.19 tells us, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So we want to be quick to hear, quick to listen, 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 but slow to speak. Let me think this through. Slow to wrath. I'm not going to get angry quickly. I'm going to hear them out first. Because human anger doesn't work the righteousness of God. We want the right things to come out. So we have to help get to the root of the person's anger. That means we're not pouring more gasoline on the fire. We just let it burn out by remaining calm and listening. Because when they know they have been heard, they'll be more open to your words and to your help. Scripture tells us not to provoke our children to anger. When we respond in anger to an angry child, it just provokes more anger. Proverbs 51, or excuse me, Proverbs 15 and 1 says, A soft answer turneth away wrath. But grievous words stir up anger. Angry people need someone who cares enough to listen long enough to understand the pain. Because behind all anger, typically, not all, but most anger, is some level of pain or hurt or disappointment or frustration. To be wise and courageous, to respond with a gentle, kind, honest answer. To seek resolution and a peaceful outcome. If you'll stand with me tonight... If we can learn to control, process, and understand anger, then we have grown by leaps and bounds in our maturity and in our Christian walk. In reality, our anger is at the very heart of who we are. You may say, well, how is that? Well, you tell me what you're angry about, and I can tell you what's important to you. Because what we get angry about tells us what really matters to us, right? For the mature Christian, anger will focus on things like injustice, unfairness, inequality, ungodliness, things that matter, not on petty irritations. We seek to bring justice. We want godliness. We want equality. But at the same time, we walk with a measure of humility because we know that we are all subject to failure. Scripture tells us to be angry and sin not. So I hope that through these series that maybe you've gained some level of learning how to be good at being angry. 
I know it's helped me. I hope it's helped you, and I thank you all for your attention tonight, and I'm going to turn this back to Pastor. Amen. Let's give the Lord and Sister McGee a good hand, please. <clears throat> there is out in the foyer uh, the missing people in empty seat CDs. Uh, they're refreshed out there uh, on the table. If you never grabbed one, please do so. Take it home. Listen to it over and over again. Tremendous, tremendous message. So that's out there for free for your taking. Also, uh, the rest of this week, uh, just sort of refreshing our memories. Uh, on Thursday, Sister Wendell and Sister Jessup was going to fast. Friday is Zach and Malin. There you are. I'm sorry. I don't know why I looked over there. I was looking for Malin, I think. Zach and Malin was on Friday. And Saturday was Krista and Sister Sharon. And then uh, Sunday was Heath Trout. So just be remember those things. Amen. Be praying for Sister McGee and I. We'll be flying out Friday to go be a part of and do a conference in Texas. Amen. So you're in left in good hands here with Brother Mason on Sunday morning and then Brother uh, Zach McGee Sunday night. And so come and be a part of those services. Amen. And uh, we'll have a good time, I know, and you will as well here. Amen. Let's pray tonight. Father, I come to you today. I'm so thankful, Lord. God, that you have equipped us, Lord God, by various means, Lord, practically, Lord, scripturally, God, of ways, Lord, to deal, God, with anger in our life. God, it's not, Lord Jesus, if it comes, but when it comes. And, Lord, help us, God, to do so, God, appropriately. I pray, God, to use these tools, God, in our lives, God, in our relationships, in various areas. I pray, oh, God, make us, Lord, better people, God, better Christians. In the name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen. Amen. Everyone say amen. Remember Sunday. We'll leave instruction for Brother Mason and them to push the money for the drainage issue, uh, so on and so forth on Sunday. Amen. And uh, next Wednesday, if there's no hiccups in the hiccups, we'll start in Second Peter. Okay? And so you can come with that anticipation as well. God bless you in Jesus' name tonight. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.